Off's podcast and another episode today. And today's episode, speaking to uh, comedy legend, Steve Bedwell. How are you, Bedders? All the better for speaking for you, Jimmy. It was, it was uh, always a pleasure when I used to watch you work. There was uh, three people that I always thought stood out as coming through that didn't quite crack it for one reason or another, mostly because of the way... Sadly, our business has been let decline, and that was uh, you, Johnny Katz, and Gabe Hogan. I thought all had the the most potential out of everybody coming through, but who all sort of fell between the cracks. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for that, but I will be back, so you never know. Uh, my journey hasn't ended. Uh, Katz is still going. I don't know about Gabe. Yeah, I, I just want them to, you know, I just think that the season, our, uh, our industry now is so tied down and so hard to get that first, you know, even to get a, that first 20-minute spot anywhere now is nearly impossible because it, it's full of free rooms of, of idiots doing seven or eight minutes of nothing they've prepared and thinking they've got enough experience to talk to the audience and they're just talking to their friends and it, it's it's and, and people and people are charging nothing to get in you should always yeah that's, if yeah, you, that's the big issue i guess if uh, you, and a lot of the that just rock up and just talk uh you know that, that might tell a story that they think is funny but it's not funny you know There's yeah no punchline comedy comedy is like anything comedy is like uh a, a fucking car excuse the language there jimmy but if you were to no, give a if you were, if you were to give a car away for nothing, people would treat it like rubbish and drive it into the ground and not give a shit about it. But we give right. away comedy for nothing, and and uh, it's just wrong. This is people's hard work. Yet people start rooms. I, I understand why they start rooms, but start a room. But start a room with just you know five bucks to get in. Not much, just five bucks, and the people will put respect. Yeah. The people will put a value on what they're seeing. If you don't give them anything tangible or make them give over anything tangible, then you're never going to get anywhere. Well, do you think, um, because stand-up is not perceived uh, here as it is in uh, the US and the UK where they give it a lot of respect. They grew up with comedians. I mean, we did as well. But I think here in Australia, we have the, the notion that uh, we're all funny, you know what I mean? So you'll, you'll yeah. get a bunch of guys walk into a comedy club and go, now I'm funnier than this guy, you know? Yeah, yeah. We, you know we, what I mean? So they don't really respect it. We, um, you know, the golden age of, of comedy for Australia was when um, the, um, uh, the comedy store was running hot in Sydney. Um, you had uh, comedy down in Double Bay. You had all these good quality rooms all charging money. And even here in Melbourne, we had, you know, the comedy club. And then we had, um, oh, what's his name in Collingwood? Um, uh, the, the Prince Patrick? Yeah, no, the, um, it had upstairs and downstairs. Well, I don't know oh, the last I laugh? Last laugh. We yep. even had even even the, um, the uh, Sullivan boys running uh, the... Um, the uh, Star the and Garda were doing a better job. Oh, yeah, job. the Star and Garda, yeah. They were doing a job of starting a small and building it up. I mean, the Star and Garda took some chances. I mean, they did a, a thing a week called Tuesday Night Debacles, which was basically yeah. me, um, <clears throat> Trevi Marmalade and uh, Petey Rosethorn. And, you know, Petey Rosethorn and I uh, sat in my lounge room sewing eyes on sock puppets before one oh, really? yeah we had we also got a block of ice delivered and did ice carving in front of the stage too <coughs> for people to do some ice carving we had a barber's chair brought in and had people have their hair cut while we're on stage there's no <laughs> no no one's no one's taking those chances anymore it's all very simple and and once you are entrenched like um uh, the the um the uh, comedy club, not the, not the what's the oh, what's the comedy store? This comedy one in North Melbourne. Why can't I think of oh, it? Oh, comics. Yeah, yeah. The for people, lounge. just quickly, I'll just give people the history of the comics lounge. It started from the Star and Garda, but the Star and Garda started with Jamoan and Bob Franklin. They ran that venue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
That's yeah, right. So, and then, like you said, the O'Sullivan guys took over the Star and Garda, and then uh, I think the, the building got bought out. Yeah, so they had to right. move, and then they found the Comics Lounge in uh, Errol Street, North Melbourne. But wasn't the Comics Lounge originally a, a also a conglomeration of money from different comics as well? Oh, yeah, there were some investors, I believe, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't think that all turned out particularly well. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. Anyway, I'm not, I can't, can't really talk about that, but... Uh, yeah, but, but you know, I, I've had a, a you know, I, I've had a, a, a good life in comedy. I can't complain. My life's been good. Um, yeah, because you were on the hit radio show, the Timbo and Better show on Triple M. Yeah, we had that. That was uh, it was a great show, and, and we had a show before that on between nine and twelve on Triple M in nineteen seven called the Squirrel Grippers. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we bought out an album that were, we were ARIA nominated for that album and uh, that was the year when um, 3AW later told me they were worried that we were closing in on Neil Mitchell, that they were glad they moved us because they were scared because we were doing anything, anything we felt like and we were given carte blanche to do it, just to build up a name and a reputation and all that sort of stuff. And then when it comes to breakfast, it's a lot more tied down. It's a lot stricter. It's a lot, you know, you have to definitely have to get out to news on time. You've got to do all that sort of stuff. So it's... Uh... That, that's when you have your most listeners? Sorry? Is that because that's when you have your most listeners in the mornings? Yeah, yeah. Well, but the prime listening time is breakfast, 9 to 12. That's, yeah. I mean, I mean uh, breakfast, uh, 6 till 9. Six till nine. That, that's yeah. your prime listening. Uh, and we used to have a segment called uh, Better's Diary that ran every morning at 7. That's right. Um, I think, did you one afternoon do that at the ESPY as well once? I may have. I used to read um, from uh, Bill Wyman's uh, young ex-wife's book. Um, I used to do readings of that at the um, at the ESPY, doing the accents, and they all ended up sounding like Parker from the Thunderbirds, but um, right, that was good. And that, was, that was a good times. And as you know, I used to my life then. I came to Melbourne in '93 to um, be on the Steve Vizard show. Yep. So I did that. I moved to '93 and did a lot of long hours. That as head writer, a lot, a lot of long hours we would do. Not Vizard, but. Me and and yeah, you know, kind of keep the writers hanging around, so I would have to do late script changes, and, and it was it was a big affair. Then that ended at the end of '93, and then uh, the guys in the room said, "Fuck you! Why aren't you doing stand up? Like you you're just like you know you're the funniest guy in the room, you're the fastest guy in the room." So in uh, April. Uh, uh, of 94, I did my first spot, and it's on actually. Ray Matson has put it on, uh, put it on YouTube. YouTube, and it's the it's, it's film of the third spot I did. I did. Uh, sounds ridiculous, and 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 when I looked at it, I couldn't believe it. Did 20 minutes and killed in my first spot. Fair income. Yeah, and then was whisked over to Adelaide. For where Elliot Goblet supported me, so I was, you know, I'd yeah. I'd, I'd done the comics room, the the comics um, God, the names keep confusing me, the comedy club in Sydney. I know the no the it's the comic the comic store, sorry in yeah. Sydney, like within six months of doing stand up, so six months of yeah. starting, I was headlining there. Well, I remember my first gig was at the Star and Garter. Yeah, and uh, I, you know, I you know prepared and I written all these jokes, and I jumped up and uh, Dave Grant was the MC. Yeah, and so I jumped up thinking, oh, you know, these jokes are great, uh, and I bombed for like seven minutes. Right, the jokes bombed for seven minutes, but I was getting a lot of laughs. Right, so I think obviously the audience were laughing at me, you know. And uh, I got off stage and Dave Grant came up to me and he goes, that was great. And I go, are you, are you? I go, what are you talking about? Man? I go, none of my jokes work. He goes, yeah, but the way you handled it, you know, it was, yeah. it was fantastic. The audience loved it. But 
you know, I still walked away dejected, you know, and yeah, of course, bombing, you know, like it was bombing like severely, you know, like yeah. at the SP, everyone was going really well Sunday afternoons, and I'd get up and, and just die of death. Yeah, and it was hard for me to go. remember Trevor Hall, yeah, yeah, and asked for another. And when I asked him for another gig, you know, he'd be flicking those pages for like 10 minutes, you know, <laughs> uh, down, you know like five years away. <laughs> and, the, the, um, at, about, at my first gig, which was uh, at the SP, uh, yeah. and, and it wasn't long after that, I was hosting the SP every Sunday afternoon or every second Sunday afternoon. Um, Dave uh, Grant just said, uh, wow. Well, you know we're going to have to kill you, don't you? Yeah, I know what he said. That's yeah. a big compliment from Dave. Huge compliment. Anyway, so ended up uh, doing this gig in Adelaide, uh, which uh, had been teed up partially by Gracie and partially by the heads of Osteria, uh, where Dave, yeah. where um, uh, Elliot Goblet uh, supported me um, and uh, did a gig, killed... Two days later, a contract offer come through for to do breakfast on SAFM. Oh, right. And uh, with, so, with within, people... so within a year, I'd gone from not doing a spot to doing a national, oh, not national, but a, a, a capital city breakfast show. Yeah, right. And just, so you said your first gig, you did 20 minutes and you killed. Yeah. You must have walked away. Like, how easy is this? I, yeah. Why didn't I do this? time ago and then how did your second gig go they were all the same they were all the oh, same. Right. They, they all just sort of all fell in the place the material was working my timing yep. was right i was slightly different i noticed then i used to walk around with um almost used to pace with the hand with the mic in my hand as opposed to standing in front of the mic yeah right yeah well um, you know every comic has their style and, and whatever helps but you know, what, you know what happens with with old material. You, you you've done material for a while, then if you go back and look at the way you wrote it, you actually realise that it was so much better the way you wrote it that over the years bits have just dropped off. And then you look at the purity of the joke that you wrote and think that is a really good joke. That's not getting the laughs that it deserves because I've let it sort of become part of the furniture. <laughs> Yeah, or, or, or you haven't built on it, and when you and when you say the joke, you find you, you deliver it in a boring style because you've heard it before, and it, and it, in your mind it's got stale. Yeah, exactly. Where if you add another tag to that joke, you're excited to do the joke, so you'll start the joke again with enthusiasm because you've got a new tag to it. Although I must say, I um, the email Phillips promised me he was going to steal my whole. Uh, going to the moon routine. So that's how far back that goes. goes back. Yeah, I think um, he's changed his style, hasn't he? Has he? I believe so, yeah, because um, the audiences were get, getting very bored bored of the style, you know. But yeah. uh, Now, with uh, Tim Smith, uh, yeah. did you guys do comedy together and then you went on radio or...? No, we, we, um, Tim was the first real mate I made when I came to uh, Melbourne. He was sort of, uh, he and I were on the same sort of wavelength of being disruptive around the building and uh, throwing huge firecrackers in the, in the fire well and um, water bombing Stubbsy and that sort of stuff. So he and oh, I, and then, you know, I'd hang out at his place and or he'd come and see me and we'd do stuff because he had his young family then, so I'd go over there and um, his wife made me a terry toweling suit. Oh, really? Fairly good. Oh, it's beautiful. Um, so, so, yeah, so Tim and I really sort of, I think we... They knew we'd work together and they knew we'd work well together. And I think uh, people on high at Osteria thought, you know what, we need something to replace Stubbsy and uh, let's give these guys a run at uh, Melbourne at uh, mornings just to break them in and uh, we can have the handover. Yeah, right. And uh, who, who, who are your comedy influencers, like, you know, you know, you you enjoy to, watching. Yeah, you gotta. You know what? I don't. I, I um. I don't watch 
a lot of comedy. It's quite strange. I don't, I don't really, I'm not a, an aficionado. I don't listen to it. On, oh, really? Because uh, I actually, I actually, um, I think I've become a bit numb to it. You don't laugh unless it's really, really good. Comics don't tend to laugh. Yeah, um, that's right. We critique. We critique. You know. Yeah, unless um, it's something that's really good. But um, you do laugh. You know, it's good. But I know that um, you're a fan of the Larry Sanders show, Gary Shandling. Gary, Gary Shandling uh, is a genius. I think the Larry Sanders show is possibly. Uh, I put it at. Uh, number one of the greatest sitcoms ever made, mostly because of its, at the time it was made, HBO had just started. This was their first foray into comedy and they landed on their feet tremendously. I think uh, I, I love his work. Um, uh, some of the old guys, you know, I, um, I, I don't mind a lot of silent comedy. Some of the stuff oh, really? that busted. The stuff that <laughs> yeah. busted. I, I try to do that, and I just—I mean, I, I appreciate it, and I watch it, and you know, a lot of them were stunts, you know, obviously, yeah, um, you know, because that, that, you know, back then, you know, they didn't have much to work with, no. um, so, well, but I'm watching well, it, and I'm thinking, yeah, all right, yeah, I know, yeah, all right, so it falls off a train, gets back up, um, falls off a roof, gets back up, yeah, um, yeah, you've seen yeah. it all before, I guess, you know, but back then, I'd appreciate. Yeah, that would, it would be funny, you know. But tell you who I used yeah, to so find it's not like uh, Mission Impossible. Yeah, you know, it was, uh, yeah. you know the stunts now. Tom Cruise. Do you believe he does those stunts? I don't think it's true. I no, don't I don't think it's true. I um, yeah. I, I tell you who uh, I forget who I think is really good. Um, I saw a stand-up show of hers. She's from Brooklyn Nine Nine. She's the secretary Peretti. Oh some, yeah. I don't watch much uh, American uh, sitcoms of, of that style. Um, right. But uh, I think, um, yeah, I know the it's show. Very but, good. Uh, it's I a remember. very good stand-up. Well, I remember, you know, like, I remember that time when Jerry Lewis said that women aren't funny. Yeah. And I think at that, you know, a bit after that, I remember Janine Garofalo. She was pretty funny. And Sarah Silverman. Yeah. But then they get become too serious. They take themselves too serious, and they become, you know, political. And then you go, all right, enough's enough. Just do the jokes. You know, Silver, but uh, what's your opinion on women not uh, being funny? Well, Sarah Silverman. I mean, I I find sometimes that women have to revert to being dirtier than men to be accepted. You reckon Sarah Silverman's act is just filthy? Yeah. Um, but, you, uh, but I, uh, her first appearance, yeah. in, in fact, on television was on the Larry Sanders show. Who's Sarah Silverman or Janine? Yeah, Sarah Silverman. Oh, because uh, Janine Garofalo was on it as well, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And trying to think, uh, you know, there's, um, you know, there's great comic actors and there's great comics. And, and, and uh, unfortunately, Hollywood has taken this long to realize that. Um, when you're a good comic, you're actually acting every night you're on stage. So you're not just, they, they just take you on face value as to who you are on stage. They don't sit and talk well, and find out about what you really like. Well, that's right. That's what Dice Clay says. He goes, people got to know that I'm doing a character, you know, because it's not me. I don't go home going to my kids, you fucking asshole, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, <laughs> it's a character I'm doing, you know, yeah. and um, and and that's why you know at this you know with the woke era now, and um, a lot of comedians are, are scared to go controversial with their jokes, and because people are buying, they think, oh, this is what this person you know really thinks, or you know, yeah. But but we we write a controversial joke because it's funny, yeah. It's not something we want to say, uh, you know. Yeah, you write it. Not an opinion; it's a joke, and also. You can, uh, being of a certain ethno-political religious background, gives you yeah. suddenly the right to tell that joke. That's right. Because I wrote a joke. Uh, you know, I, got, I used to go to Crown a lot, yeah? yeah. And um, I, my joke is, stop Asian immigration. I can't get a seat at the casino. Right? <laughs> yes. Now, I don't really walk around going, can we ban Asian immigration? Yeah. You know what I mean? 
And people used, go, whoa, whoa, you know. I, I, used um, this, so, I used to do this shocking joke that uh, really upset the family and, and really I shouldn't, being a good Jewish boy, should not have done it. And that is uh, my uh, my grandfather died at Auschwitz. Um, oh, no. He fell out of a guard tower. Oh, no. Yeah. That, that, I mean, yeah, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, it depends. There was a, a great. Uh, I don't know if you've got this streaming service, Juby. Yeah, you tell me. And, and, it, and, it, and it, it was a documentary about uh, uh, jokes about the concentration camps. Are, yeah. are Jews? Are, is it only Jews that are allowed to do those types of jokes? I don't know if you've seen the doc. It's great. I, I, I don't know. Well, you know what? Given everything else that's going on, I think Jews are the only ones that can do those jokes now. Maybe five years ago, not, but definitely now. If you're not Jewish, you can't do a joke about a concentration camp. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a, you know, it's a subject. No, like, that's, that's not my opinion. That's sort of what society is telling us. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, it's a very controversial subject. And obviously, um, and it's not that long. You know, your family were upset at you. Look, obviously, yeah. they all spoke to you, though, but. And it's not that, not that, uh, not that long ago either. When you think about it, so the only, yeah, the only, right. the only um, joke I'll do about uh, that I've written that I'd do about um, the Nazis is the cat in the Chinese window. Right. Have it's, you done that live on stage or? Uh, no, not yet. It'd be interesting to see how it goes. I'm going, to, I'm going to, when all this clears up, all this business, I'm going to go back to America for a bit and see what happens, see what I can drum up, do some whole million late-night spots and see what goes on. Because it only takes one, you know, it really only takes one one good joke to hit and, you you know, you're doing all right. Yeah, oh, like you mean oh, a joke to spread, yeah? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, hey, yeah, yeah. it's the guy who did that joke. Yeah, that that's right, thing. yeah. Well, I remember another time uh, I was doing a, a, a very quiet pub in uh, Smith Street, uh, yeah. Collingwood. Um, and always, you know, they're, they're dangerous pubs, you know, down there. But anyway, um, yeah. and I don't know, there's like three or four in the crowd and, and one guy yells out, what do you call an Asian guy that flies a plane? <laughs> oh, and I said, crazy. a pilot. And he goes, oh, good, 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 you know, because he, he thought I was going to say something racist, huh? right? Huh. Yeah, but then I said, do you know why he's flying a plane? Because he can't drive a car. <laughs> <All right>? <laughs> <laughs> and then that word, that, 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 got, that got, you know, spread around the circuit, you know, if everyone's talking about it. And I said, yeah, it would have been good if there was a lot more people to see that. But, oh, uh, mate, that's fantastic. That's, that's, yeah. that's great, man. And you can't. You can never replicate that. That's just one of no, those that's right. moments in, that happens. Yeah, it's in the moment. But just go back to on Melbourne comedy. Yeah, you know, it's, it's um. Why do you think the crowds don't go? Is it the comedians? I tell you or what happens. The run? Hey? I tell you what happens. This once a year, there's the Melbourne International Comedy Festival that has yeah. grown to over six hundred acts, who all pay a shitload of money. As well as the millions that come from the government. And people think in the suburbs, oh, the comedy festival's on, we'll go into the city and see Husey. They go, oh, Husey's uh, sold out. I'll, I'll grab this. This is a good-looking flyer. Wow, it's colour. It's nice. What a great yeah. flyer. This must be a good show. Little do yeah. they know, the guy just happened to have the 600 bucks to get in and have some flyers made, and he's only been doing stand-up for two weeks. So these That's people, right. So these people come into the city to see stand-up, cop this schmuck and think, if this is the festival, I'm never coming back again. Yeah, that's right. Because, uh, you know, when, you know when you, like a lot of people ask you, oh, are you doing the comedy festival? And I'll go, you know, some, some years I wouldn't do it. And then they'll go, oh, you know. And I'll go, well, look, it's no big deal. I'll go, you could do one as well. I'll go, just give your fee, uh, application fee, and you can get a show, yeah? Yeah, there's no, they think you have. There's no audition process or anything no, like that. There's no nothing. criteria to do it because no. you know they say comedy is subjective, so anyone can jump up. You know, 
Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but I, I remember there was a comedy venue. Uh, I won't mention where, but uh, and he, you know, um, he, he didn't get many punters through the door. Right. And uh, the headliner went to get paid, and um, the 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 promoter said to him, "Look, I didn't get many through the door, um, so I can't afford to pay you. Do you smoke pot?" You know? <laughs> <laughs> and then I think uh, he also gave him some lettuce and carrots because he had a a garden in the backyard or something. So he paid him with like lettuce and uh, carrots or something and tomatoes. So um, that's always a risk, you know. It's always a risk. I still, um, I mean, Kieran Butler was running that um, Station 59 um, give what you think it's worth thing for oh, yeah. three, three years. Um, yep. And he had, I think the most somebody had gotten on the night was was 90 bucks. My last yeah, night, right. I cracked 700 bucks. Oh, you did one night in 700? The last night, 700 bucks in the bucket, bang. How much do you get to keep? All of it. Oh, all of it? Yeah. Wow, all right, that's it. pretty good. If you make, if that people only put five bucks in, you only get five bucks. Now, back to comedy in this city. Um, it's controlled by, I'm not going to say uh, any names, but it's controlled by a conglomerate that represents the majority of artists that you see yeah, on yeah, yeah, panel yeah, shows yeah. and um, sitcoms. There's a click and... now. There's the click with the agents as well. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, and it's... I've heard I've heard also some comedians from TV, if they're performing, let's say, uh, at, you know, at a big venue or anything like that, they will choose also who to come along and have the, on their lineup. You know what I mean? Oh, really? Yeah, that's what I've heard, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so you, you know how you'd normally rock up to a venue and there'd be like, you know, different comics that you know, you know but, you know, yeah. but now it's like a team, yeah? So this comedian from TV would rock up with his crew, like his lineup. He'll have his MC, you know, he's chosen his MC, he's chosen his opener, uh, and then his middle bracket, and then his headliner. Not fucking Las Vegas, it's Melbourne. That's what I've heard, yeah. Um, uh, Melbourne uh, used to have, of course, the flying trapeze, which became the last laugh. And John Bin John Pinder, of course, started both of those rooms. Comedy legend John Pinder, yeah. um, which I have an interesting tie to because I, I wouldn't, I didn't have a clue who he was. I had no idea who he was. The phone rings in Sydney, and it's Pinder saying, "We want you to come and work for Visard." All right. And up until the day he died, unfortunately, I never got to ask him how he knew about me or what I was doing in Sydney or whatever. You also wrote for the footy show as well. Yeah, a couple of years on the footy show. Got in trouble there. I was a troublemaker there as always. uh, Oh, really? I I had my office door. I had a, uh, which had glass either side of it, you know, like a typical office petition door. I had uh, the guys from Props put a fly screen door on the front of it for me. Yeah. So that you know, I could close the fly screen and uh, you know, still keep the door open. But, uh, you know, on, on an indoor building, the fly screen, uh, they, just, they, just, they just said, what the fuck are you doing? You have to stop that. And <laughs> um that year, I decided that we needed someone else in, so I hired Rob Caldwell. Yep. Um, and Robbie's become the go-to nine for Channel Nine for everything. He's doing everything. He's fantastic. Oh, great! Um, is there many shows though to write comedy for? Not that many anymore. I don't. I think that there needs to be some more. I remember. Yeah, there has to be. When we were writing, um, we were doing the Eric Banner show. I yeah. um. I gave Paul Collegia his first ever professional job in comedy. He was able to give up teaching and go yeah. to comedy. Then uh, 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 two weeks later, he comes in and says, um, I'm leaving. Gilbo's got me a job on on uh, Hey Hey. The Russell Gilbert show. Yeah, oh, right. And I was on Hey Hey. So I thought, well, so I was producing the, the Russell Gilbert show. So I... I said to um, them, all right, we'll tell Daryl he can have you. We've got you on contract. As long as he pays, 
for a huge slap up lunch and dinner at the Flower Drum. Yeah, right. Which happened, which is great. Yeah, but, but you know, but, um, but 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 this is why comedians' lunches are good. Comedians uh, are generally solitary creatures. They're, they're not. That... Well, I remember. Hmm? Yeah, I remember going to lunch with. Uh, oh no, uh, dinner with uh, Johnny Katz. He was going to take me there to the Flower Drum, and yeah. we were trying to find the venue. I think it's in a bit of a laneway. Yeah, it is in a lane. And he goes to me. Well, you know this restaurant. He goes, "You got voted." I go, "What voted hardest to find?" <laughs> um, you know, I just I couldn't find it, you know, and um, yeah, so yeah, so I heard it's a very. Uh, I mean, we went there; it was all right. Uh, I'll tell you what's what I think is better is silks at um, Crown. Oh, I've never been. I think I've been to the De Niro one. Oh, what was it called? That. That's Nobu. Oh. Yeah, that was terrible. Yeah, it's, um, it's a small portion. Uh, the whole. Like the I went back to the casino after, I don't know how many years, uh, and the whole place has completely changed. Where there used to be nothing, now there's walls. It just seems to be canyons with walls built up around rooms and things. It's very, very interesting way it's developed. Yeah, so but, I, but, I got the stack and it was a small portion and I thought, oh, he wouldn't serve this to Joe Pesci, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah um, <laughs> But the comedians tend to be solitary, not huge pack animals, and that's why these once a year lunches, which we must get you to, are really good because you've got people hanging around with people who um, you've known for years and new people and and, uh, everybody's relaxed, nobody's on, everybody's themselves. Well, that's the key. That's the secret. No one is on. It's always annoying when, you know, it's like you said, it's in the middle of the day. Yeah. Comedians gather together and they're all on, you know, trying to outdo each other, you know. Yeah. Uh, Where you can sit down and have like a serious conversation about other things. Yeah. Yeah. And the stuff that comes out of it that's funny isn't... isn't uh, hasn't been thought about. It's completely circumstantial and and pertinent of the moment, and no good anywhere else. It was just something that yeah. was a piece of funny in time, and then it moves on. Yeah, you don't want to, you, you're, yeah. You don't be sitting down, and you know your your, your schnitzel comes, and the committee goes, "Well, oh, I got a joke about schnitzels. I wrote it yesterday. <laughs> you want to hear?" It? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, but um, and, and have you done stand up in New York? LA. I've done stand up in New York. I've done yep. uh, stand up in Los Angeles, in Hawaii. Yep. Hawaii, yeah. Yeah, in North Korea. Um, and you've done the cruise ships as well? Yes, I've done the uh, cruise ships. That's, that is, I would recommend anybody who gets offered a cruise line job to think very carefully about it. Really? Very carefully. <laughs> But is it the crowd there's, or there's some people who really love it? I mean, Oatsy loves it. I mean, uh, yep. um, uh, Steady Eddie. Oh, Dougie Chapel does it too. Yeah, I mean, um, they all love it. They all love it. Uh, Simon Palomaris. Well, still Simon Palomaris. Yeah, he does it too. Yeah, they run uh, two buffets a night: one for Simon, one for the rest of the ship. <laughs> but, yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> they, um, he's put on the kilos, has he? Well, he's, uh, well, he's, he's, let him, he's let himself down a bit, but he's okay. He'll get there. He's a good-looking rooster. Yeah, right. Nothing like that photo he posted, but uh, that's okay. That looked like yeah, one of those be, photos uh, from the 1960s. Anyway, maybe we're on a yeah, yeah, right. um, here. But the problem with the uh, boats is, number one, uh, they tend to move with the sea. So you're sort of going backwards and forwards as you're trying to do stand-up. And number yeah. two, the first one I went on was very expensive and very long, which meant it means rich people. And I was only on it for three or four days. I don't know, it was a week. I did two gigs in a week. Um, and the rest of the time... Uh, you're sitting around doing nothing because you don't really want to be there. It's not, it's not an elective thing. It's work. Yeah, so, I, I reckon if I did a cruise ship, it'd be like the audience after it would like complain and go, oh, I feel sick. Oh. They go, oh, you see sick? They go, no, it was just jokes. <laughs> well, <laughs> the first one I did on that 
uh, first ship, chock-a-block, auditorium full, big auditorium, and yeah. uh, nothing. Got absolutely nothing. I think one of the, I think one of the old people may have shat themselves, but I think that's it. All, all I could hear was the sound of walking frames creeping out of the auditorium. Oh, that, yeah, they didn't have the hearing aids on. Now, I'll take that, Jimmy. Thank you. I, yep. I, the thing is, if you have a bad gig at home, you just fucking go home. That's right. Or the venue the next day and, yeah, and jump not, up. No, but you can't get up and have breakfast with these people who've been watching you bomb the night before. I Correct. Said, it's hard to, yeah, I, hard to I fight next, on the cruise ship. I sat uh, next to this, uh, this uh, old couple who'd seen the show, I said, it's him. It's that comedian. Yes, he's not as good as that nice young Nathan Foley. Nathan the for, Foley, the former, the former singer that from High Five. Oh, right. Oh, they got, yeah, no, I've never, yeah. I, I, they, I know Nathan Foley's a footballer, but... No, Nathan Foley used to be High Five. I don't know how they confused. I don't know what they were thinking. So... Oh, there's a lot of times, yeah, yeah, they'll, they'll, they, 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 I don't know, for some reason, I don't know why, they don't recognise you sometimes, or they pretend they don't recognise you, I don't know yeah. what it is, but, yeah, they go, oh, were you on, were you the guy that was up, you know, on stage, I'm like, yeah, Fucking, so, you know, what's changed in the last five minutes? You know, like, I would yeah. get, we'd get off at a port, and I'd go and have a look around and find a cigar shop, and, uh, get a couple of cigars and sit on deck at night and after the show and just have a quiet cigar and, a, and a, you know, think about jumping yep. out of the edge. It'd be usual. But, what, um, what was the venue where you said there was a, a comic and he had coins thrown at him? Is that right? Oh, you know, uh, about 1983, the Strange Tenants were playing in uh, at the Sydney Cove Tavern. And... Yeah. Uh, Comics and sort of ska bands don't really mix, and but particularly yeah, comics, comics any without any yeah. energy. So uh, Elliot Goblet did the support and got pelted with coins. Oh, right. No. That, that can do some damage to me. Well, of course, because he also wears glasses, you know. You don't want him to hit one of his glass lenses and uh, crack and, you know, get some glass in his eye. Yeah, a crack a lens. Yeah, that's right. Nah. Yeah. Okay, so how, and how did he handle it? I guess. Oh, yeah, he's, he's a tradesman. Duck, he ducked. Ducked yeah, a lot. He, he did a lot, a lot of ducking. Um, he's a trade. <laughs> got a garbage can lid and just uh, yeah. goes away. Yeah, yeah, he right. doesn't get a lot of ducking, but you know, he's, a, he's a pro. I'm sure he did. If he was booked for 20 minutes, he'd have done 20 minutes. There's no doubt about it. He wouldn't have walked off. He's a have has anyone thrown anything at you on stage or have you ever had bad heckles? No, no not really. I, 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 my, my act sort of, um, as it was, and I don't know if it will be the same if it ever comes back, was quite aggressive. So there wasn't much room for heckling. Yeah, that's right. That, that's what I find. If you walk out there, just the intention of just telling your jokes and getting off, You'll get away with it, yeah. But if you rock up and you're just mucking around with the crowd, then the crowd start going, "Mate, get on with it." Yeah, give us the jokes, and then, you, then they'll get restless. All you have to do is look like you know what you're doing, even if you don't. Well, that's right. Always look like you're in control. Yeah, it's the old story my dad told me. He once told me. He said, "Well, when, whenever you're at your worst, you wear your best suit." Yeah. No, well, that, a, that's why a lot of people go to court with their best suit. Yeah, which is, yeah, uh, which was their yeah, best suit. I remember it was the House of Fools. I don't know if you've heard of the venue. It was in Footscray. Yeah. Uh, House of Fools run by Matt Dean and then Doug Chapel. Okay. Uh, yeah. And that, that was the only time I, I had someone uh, throw a chip at me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but the only comeback I had was, mate, I said with sauce, but yeah. You know, <laughs> no, nothing, nothing too crash hot there. You know, I, but um, that was yeah, the only I'm, time, yeah. I'm, uh, well, I'm going to come back as a suit comic. A suit comic, yeah, with a bow tie or just a tie? Nah, it's classic 60s cut, three button oh, yeah. mohair suit, the, one inch tie, button down collars. 
Was it with the flares at the bottom or? No flares, no, no, tight legs, really tight 60s, sort of classic Cray Brothers gangster suit. Oh, right. But well, that, that worked for Seinfeld, though. Oh, he never but, wore that, though. He always used to wear. No, not that uh, type. It worked for him as a, like he wore, wore the business uh, suit, but he wore it with sneakers. So yes. to me, he looked like those guys that wear the sneakers to work, and then when they get to work, they put on the shoes, yeah? Yeah. Well, so he's like one of those used... guys. I... <laughs> a lot of women do that, Jimmy. Yeah, but no, I've seen guys as well. They wear the, oh. the sneakers. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, I... Yeah, and then they put the shoes, the dress shoes on. Yeah, no, I, I have a problem with thongs and jeans because I reckon if it's cold enough to wear jeans – it's warm enough yep. to wear shoes. And That's I reckon right. if it's warm enough to wear thongs, then it's warm enough to wear shorts. Well, my other one is the, the uh, like a Kathmandu, like a puffer jacket. Yeah. Oh. And then they wear shorts. Oh. Puffer What's jacket, going on there? No, no sleeves. Yeah, and then the shorts. Huh? Puffer jacket, no, no, no Not the sleeves. sleeves. I'm talking about rugged up to the top, you know, maybe even with a scarf yeah. and a beanie. And then they've got shorts. Nah, yeah, nah. Like that's that's strange. You know? That doesn't work. And I, nah, that's and like I, um, I've said wearing Ugg boots and and warm pants with a singlet. Yeah, <laughs> I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Uh, board shorts are strictly for swimming in. They're not. Street that's right. Wear. Yeah, 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 yeah. Correct. But uh, they became popular in on uh, you know like they became like you said streetwear. Yeah, um, but they're, it's, but they're it's strange, isn't it? But they're straight out like board shorts. Who the fuck would? But again, e- e- even uh, thongs, you know, they're only for the beach. But like you said, people are wearing them with uh, jeans. You know who the first person to bring thongs into Australia was? Paul Logan. No, they came in. They were noticed. Uh, Dawn Fraser noticed them in the '56 Olympics. And oh, really? Bought, bought them back and made them huge. Did a deal with Dunlop and they became huge. Yeah, Lincoln. Yeah. Well, uh, that's why it's always good to talk to you because you're a good historian uh, with Australian culture, I believe. Well, oh, thank you very much, Jim. Yeah, no. Yeah. So um, you got I'm a good memory as well. What, what other what other things came in? Uh, you know, from other countries here. Oh, just uh, it's just interesting. I just I like just working. I learned something in uh, America the first time I did a gig. I said, uh, it says on the landing card, do you suffer from a mental illness? Yes or no? Mm. Uh, If you uh, press yes, apparently you can't come in. Uh, Yeah. So basically what happened was that that I was implying that uh, um, Trump was mad he was running the place, but other people couldn't get in. And what the, mm. what the mistake was, Americans don't um, see mad as being crazy. You have to use the word crazy for them to understand yeah, what right. mad means. Yeah. So, so mad, I think mad would be angry in, in America. Yeah, yeah it's, yeah, it's upset. It's cranky. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's that. That was uh, a little difference. But I, my time in Hawaii was great. I had a great time there. And there were there were little rooms, and um, you know that that's it's a fairly limited sort of uh, run over there. In fact, if I was to go back over there, I'd try and get a room up. Mm. Just for just uh, yeah, just to get it. Because there's a lot, so many hotels. That, that I haven't been to, that I haven't seen there, that must have rooms for stand-up, surely. It's even even just just for the tourist market alone. Yeah, they would have uh, stand-up comedy there. They do, but not big. It's not big. And that, it's now, big obviously, yeah. the didgeridoo is Australian, yeah? They, they didn't come from anywhere else. No. Uh, yeah, that's uh, true blue Aussie. What are you talking about? Uh, was it just a joke? <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting to do the joke, but you started talking oh, about uh, the other bad. story, and no. it was just gone. It went over your head. No, because you'll tell bad. me Paul Fraser brought in the thongs, and because you know a lot about Australian culture, I want to ask yeah. you about 
where the didgeridoo originated, and obviously, yeah. no, that's, obviously that's, we know that. But, no, but uh, it was a while back that joke. That, no, uh, it's, we, it, uh, it's uh, no, it's me. You sold it uh, beautifully, uh, Jimmy. It was just me. Um, no, you're right. Yeah, so but, um, that that was. I mean, I enjoyed that. They're going to Pearl Harbor. I found was an amazing experience. Pearl because, Harbor, right? Because I never, I didn't perform there, Jim. I don't. I, I uh, didn't yeah. think that the Americans could build a monument that was so classy and not crass. And they've done yeah. a beautiful job on it. Really beautiful. Did you go to the Grand Canyon? No, no. I, went, I flew. Uh, I stayed at the Roosevelt in Hollywood for a while, on the way back. It's a nice hotel. It's close to everything, and um, but I wasn't, I wasn't, I was, I was sort of mucking around in in Hawaii and trying some stuff and fiddling about. And I didn't feel uh, I was prepared to stand in queue and wait for hours to do a spot that might prevent me from doing a spot coming back in the future at the comedy store. So I decided mm. just to withdraw. Plus my brain was starting to deteriorate a bit. So did you um so you, you told me that you wrote for Steve Weizard. Yeah. Um and I was speaking to Crazy E and he told me that he was booked with Fred Rowan to do they, they had a double act called Crime Stoppers. Yes, that's correct. Yeah we that uh, they were doing it live on stage, like live on, you know, free to wear. Yeah. And, um, and and they had a balloon. He goes. So when it was time to use the balloon, he, he bent down to pick up the balloon, and this is live on air, you know. Yeah. But the balloon had flown away. All right. So, do you remember that? Were you there? Or no, I'm trying to try and recalling. Yep. Yeah, and he said, "Oh, mate, we lost it. We, we you know, we, we, I think the the act ended." Because the balloon just <laughs> and this is you know they're trying to get a big break you know the Steve Weizard show no. uh, you know that's a bummer yeah bloody hey, what have happened to um, uh, uh, Harris Tim Harris oh I wouldn't have a clue dude. mate I remember him at the ESPY and that was it um, yeah yeah so I know that he he was used to do the the poetry or something like that some sort yeah. of stuff but. Remember, no, remember, um, yeah, you remember Steve Holly? Steve Holly? Yeah. No. Oh, he used to. Uh, he, he really was terrible. Unfortunately, oh, right. he's, he's still going. Not doing comedy. He hasn't done comedy since the first. I think he did three gigs. But he'd start off with this, like this box on his head, with the yeah. door on the front, and he goes, "Look, I'm out of the closet." <laughs> That, that was it. Is he alive or? I think he may be still somewhere. I'd like to. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to think he was. Um, but... I started with. Um, uh, well, was it uh, Gab Rossi, uh, Chris Franklin, uh, Peter Hallier? Yeah. Uh, and when I started, Dave Hughes. Um, uh, Dave Hughes was. I think I rocked up to one venue, and Dave Hughes was going to be doing. His first hey hey spot. Ah. So um yeah, and I remember uh, it was very very funny when I first saw him. He was very funny when he was doing that uh, the unemployed stick. That was that yeah, was yeah, weird. But but yeah. now that voice they've, they've dropped another point in breakfast at today FM. They're down to three point three with him there. Right. Because oh. he's 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 too Melbourne, I reckon. And people yeah. have had a gut full of that fucking voice. Well, I don't know. I, I rate him. I think he's one of the best, um, you know, because um, I know, I don't know, just to me, he seems like a natural. So um, I don't follow oh, yeah. the radio ratings, but, uh, yeah, to me, I really always enjoyed his uh, comedy. He, just I, his style, he, I like. He, his his stand-up uh, from the start was impeccable. I mean, it was just great, that whole being on the dole, not getting a job stuff. Was great, yeah. and you know what? That could have been the end of him. That could have been that was all he was known for. But he was smart enough to, to either work with somebody or do it himself, probably himself, to see that the future wasn't there. The future was in explaining his life as it was at the time, and the many as changes it was evolving, that yes. made. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. but he, I guess he had to. I mean, he couldn't, you know, he's on radio making, you know, a lot of money and, you know, he can't rock up on stage saying, I'm unemployed, you know, no one's going to buy it anymore. Well, that's, you know? that's what I'm saying. We could only do that for a certain while, but now to develop well, the act. Yeah, well, we all know that, you know, the, the loser character is always the funniest. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, like Rodney Dangerfield got it, you know, again, no respect. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, the story of Rodney Dangerfield, when he started, he wasn't getting a break or anything like that. Uh, he was, I think, a door-to-door salesman. And uh, he went back when he was, I think, start of his 50s, I think, around there. Yeah. Changed his name, Dangerfield. And uh, his stick was, I get no respect, you know. Let me tell you, I get no respect, you know. No respect. What a crowd. What a crowd. And, and you know, the, uh, the Caddyshack was the first movie he'd ever done. Was it? Yeah. First movie Caddyshack. he'd ever done. And, no, Caddyshack. Sorry? You know, Caddyshack. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I know. Of course. So the great story about Caddyshack is that uh, Bill Murray turned up, shot all of his bits in three days and left. Oh, yeah. I mean, that that would happen. In a movie? Jimmy, you're kidding. That's, I mean, that's uh, that's virtually uh, one take every time. He was that good. Okay, so yeah, I know, I guess, but uh, yeah, I mean, he, look, he's another one, Bill Murray, you know, a natural funny guy, you know. Um, and his I, character wasn't, didn't have many lines either. No, no. Chevy, yeah, Chase, so, I'm, Chevy Chase, I'm not a fan of. No, I love Chevy. I don't care what people say about him. I, I reckon he's very funny. He In the Lampoon movies, the European vacations, oh, he's very, oh, he gets me, man. He's a very funny yes. guy. Yeah, but he's, he's the worst Tonight Show host I've ever seen. He did well, three shows. Him, and, he did three shows and was cancelled. Yeah, well, I've never seen him do a Tonight Show. No, um, he did three. It was shocking. But um, he, um, you know, he, I, I like him. Um, and Caddyshack, as you said, and then Danielfield did. Uh, was it uh, Easy Money? And Back to School. And Back to School, of course, yes. And a few other movies. He's got a good, uh, like a sketch show. You can catch it on YouTube. Yeah. Um, and um, so, yeah, he's pretty funny. He got some funny lines. I mean, I think one of the sketches is when he goes to change his name to Dangerfield. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen it. No. Have you seen no. it? Oh, if I find it, I'll send it to you. Yeah. Um, it's very funny. They go to him, oh, you know, you got a bad name or something like that. And he goes, I want to change it to Dangerfield or something or something along those lines. But, um, and my favourite comedian is Norm Macdonald. Yeah, you do um, like just, Norm Macdonald, don't you? Yeah, he's so laid back and just, you know, the way he tells a story. And um, hey, just I just just thinking back to the way comedy's developed and what it's been like in this country. We've got to remember that up until the mid to late seventies, comedians were working in RSL clubs and football clubs and stuff. Yeah. So they were being they were the, like the twenty minutes between the burlesque dancers sort of thing. You know what I mean? They were because yeah, yeah. that was in the days when Actors Equity said if you have an overseas act act you must have an Australian support. Yeah. Uh but oh, see, I don't know but yeah but, so but that, why, why I like watching you know? So what that does with comedy, it uh, you know, you're dealing with prawn nights and footy nights and, and, and they're the only real venues. There's nowhere else. You've got to work to it toughens the comic up. But it also dumbs them down. Well, Dave Grant always used to say that where it, he got toughened up was doing gigs at, at strip nights, you know, yeah. the yeah. strip joints, you know, because so, yeah, but look, obviously the rough pubs are the best. Um, they're the toughest crowds to win over. Yeah. And um, I agree with you that, the comics must must do all the venues, you know, all different types of venues, um, and not take the easy way, you know, all the most the, the comfortable venues, um, you know, do, do the do the gigs where you got to walk walk out and grab the audience's attention. Yeah, I I said ages ago, I can't think when it was, maybe halfway through the last lockdown, I 
put a thing on Facebook. Open mic rooms. If you want to survive when all this is finished, book a headline act now for your first night back. Get people in and then uh, it'll follow from there. You can't, because they're coming off a zero base again now and they needed to have well, my somebody... theory is hmm? just for people that are funny. I, I don't care if, you, if they're your mates, whatever. Yeah. If they're funny, they're getting laughs, just put them on, mate. Because the audience doesn't know your relationship with the commie. No. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, put politics aside and just put on a great night, let the audience have a great night because they're paying as well and, and they'll always come back. Yeah, makes it five bucks. It's nothing. It's five bucks to these. It's nothing today. And it gives a little bit, you know, mostly you know, the promoter's getting paid by the venue anyway. But, you know, you get uh, five bucks at the door. You work out how the split's going to go between the acts. And then when you work out how much money you got, you work out the split. Yeah, an act might only walk. A Mac, a Mac yeah. might only walk away from a show with 15 bucks, but they're thinking, yeah. fuck, you know what, I earned this. What about, um, you know, some promoters, you know, like um, I remember one uh, venue, I won't mention the promoter's name again, but um, I rocked up and, you know, we always, we always used to get like a drink card or something like that, like a token drink. Yeah. So I would get a bourbon and Coke, you know, and then, um, uh, so I've got my bourbon and coke. I've had it, and then uh, he comes up to me again, and uh, he goes, uh, "Would you like another drink?" And I'm ah. like, "Yeah, I'll have another bourbon and coke," you know. And um, he goes, "No," he goes, um, "It's one spirit per comic," you know. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I go, oh, "Well, give me a water then," you know. And he said, "It gives me a water," you know. Then I get up on stage. I have a great gig. The first thing he comes back backstage. The first thing he says. Would you like a bourbon and coke? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you'll never guess who I accidentally dialed on the phone the other day, and therefore, when you accidentally dial them, you have to you get have to caught up. You have to get caught up in a conversation with them, even though oh, you know. I don't. I tell them, I go, look, mate. Sorry, I called you by accident. I no. can call you again if you want, but no, this one I, was an accident. I, the same. That's how it is, uh, Jeff Phillips. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, 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 go on. I accidentally pocket-dialed Jeff Phillips, who I haven't spoken to for years. That yeah, was right. Good. That was a good room he was running at the Odeon. Yeah, was, was that a good impersonation I did there before? Of who? Oh, no, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just guessed the name. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, he was. Um, look, you know, he he ran some good rooms. You know, uh, the Odeon, uh, the, the track, the Turek Lion. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, and I remember another time he um he he went to pay me, but uh, and so he had the money in his hand. Yeah. And um and, and then Rossi walked in, and and as when Rossi uh, walked in, he went to shake Jeff's hand. But uh, uh, but yeah, but Jeff didn't want to give Rossi his hand because yes, yeah, and he didn't want to show what he was paying me, you know, because uh, yeah, but you know, you know, the rooms were good. They always had punters. You know, I um, once he, he I've come into a room and uh, he's been frantic, frantic. I said, yeah. "What's wrong?" He said, "Steve, I can't. I, I have to see you. I, I can't look, look at this." Open the paper up, the headlining picture, Steve Bedwell. But it's not me. It's a Steve Bedwell who's a magician in America, this picture, who no happens way. to look a bit like me. And he's got mate. He's got mate, you better change this. Get on to them straight away. If something happens to you and you die, they're going to run this bloke's picture. <laughs> <laughs> that was his concern. That's funny. Yeah, he's busy. But I've heard comics, you know, walk into a venue where their name is smaller than the other oh. person's and they're, they're cracking the shits, you know, smashing doors. Mate, you know, I won't mention names, but I was there once and it was a very funny uh, situation, uh, you know. But, uh, yeah, it's always uh, fun doing stand-up, you know. Does, I'm sure you've got re- other stories. Doesn't, but, yeah. really, Look, doesn't, doesn't really matter, Jimmy, whether it's big no. or small. When it's written in chalk, you can make it as big as you want. Well, that's right. 
Um, and, well, look, betters, uh, got to wrap it up, but thanks for no coming worries. on. It's been a pleasure and uh, good luck with everything else. Pleasure's mine, Jimmy, and I look forward to catching up personally. You're a great no, man. I look forward to your career gathering steam yep. as it appears to be and uh, boiling over and making a mess on the stove. That's right. Thanks, betters. Uh, see you, I'll, mate. I'll see you soon. Cheers, mate. Look forward bye. to it. Bye. Yeah, bye.